0: Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, I, I was studying uh, quite a few passages of, of Jesus' teachings because I wanted to know, you know, a lot of times people talk about, well, people that talk about the tithe or all this kind of stuff, they always are in the Old Testament and, you know, things like that. And and, and it's true. There are a lot, of, a lot of mentions. I think Pastor Robert even mentioned some of those passages from the Old Testament uh, regarding tithing or uh, the first fruits of your income and things like that. But I just wanted to go on a journey into the New Testament and say, okay, how often did Jesus talk about money? And it's interesting. I don't have the exact number here, but if you, on your own time, in your own leisure, just spend some time in the Gospels and go and look at how many times Jesus talks about money, wealth, riches, possessions. He would talk about it a lot. And I think it's because he knew that we have this proclivity to find our hearts attached to things, right? We just do. We, we have this, there's something in us, almost like a gravitational pull towards possessions and money and treasures and wealth and all those things. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that those things are bad, which we'll get into in just a moment. I'm going to answer that question for us. But it is interesting how much Jesus talked about it. When you read this I wrote down today or yesterday, when when you read Jesus' sermons and parables, you're struck with the fact that he has a great deal to say about material wealth. Ironically, think about this. He primarily ministered to people who, for the most part, were poor and who thought that acquiring more wealth was the solution to all their problems. So when you look at the the demographic that Jesus oftentimes found himself teaching in, a lot of times these were these are people that did not have a lot a lot of times they were oppressed, they were marginalized, oppressed, they were living in poverty. Many of them did not even have food. Uh, a lot of theologians believe that the reason why so many crowds followed Jesus, it wasn't just that he was a charismatic leader or a good teacher, although that is true. Many crowds followed Jesus because they, they were so needy and they needed, they needed food just to survive. And they, the, his reputation that preceded him was that he was a miracle worker and could provide food for people. And so the audience that Jesus often talked to were people that in their mindset was that they had lack and there was scarcity. They didn't know how they're gonna make ends meet. And they actually thought that if I just had money, it would solve all my problems. And this is the backdrop of many of Jesus' teachings. He taught to crowds that were like that, which would explain why he talked a lot about money. I think one of the things he's trying to teach them over and over again is that money is not going to solve all of the problems that you have. It can solve some of your problems, but not all. And not only Jesus said this, but a great theologian said one time, Mo money, mo problems. Where you at, Biggie? It's just the truth. But I think one of the essential core messages found in the teachings of Jesus is this. One of the central messages is not only that money will not solve your problems, but this was this was the core. If you were to thread together all of his teachings, you would find a commonality, which would be this: life is a stewardship. That's what Jesus was constantly teaching. Life, what you have been given. Life is a stewardship. The resources you have, the riches you have, the job that you have, the family I've given you. Everything that you have, it is a gift from God for you to steward. You do not own it, but it is there for you to steward. And you will be audited one day. You will be held accountable for what you did with what I entrusted to you. This was the teachings of Jesus. Look, throughout all of it, this is what he said. Now, what is a steward? I heard a guy one day, I was preaching about stewardship. I kept saying, steward, you're a steward, you're a steward. Guy comes up to me, no lie. Guy comes up to me, after, he's like, my name is not steward. I don't understand. I'm like, I said steward with a D, steward. He was like, I thought you kept saying steward. I'm like, is he talking to me or who's steward? Is there a guy named steward here? Like, what is he talking about? Uh, but here, here's a good definition. Dr. Warren Weersby said this uh, in his New Testament commentaries about stewardship. He says, a steward, with a D, a steward is someone who manages another's wealth. She absorbed this definition. A steward is someone who manages another's wealth. He or she does not own the wealth themselves, but he or she has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the master's use. This is a great, great definition. I don't have this in my notes, but I, I, just, I just thought about this. A great illustration of this is every Christmas, my spiritual father, Pastor Dino, you've heard him preach here before. Every Christmas at church, he would come up to me, not with the church's money, not with tithes and offerings that came in the church, but with his personal money. Every Christmas at our Christmas services, he would give me $10,000 and $100 bills out of his savings account. He would give me that money and he would tell me this. And the, the amount would change depending on the year and probably on the blessings and stuff like that. But a lot of times it was between five dollars to $10,000 and $100 bills. And he'd say, I want you to walk around during all of our services, five, six, seven services. I want you to walk around. I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, who does he want to bless today? And I'd walk around and I'd pray. And I'm telling you, it was the best church service I'd ever been to. <laughs> I had so much joy. I mean, I'm just walking around, just hand full of hundreds, just like, it's like looking for somebody, you know. And It's unbelievable, unbelievable. Some of you are like, "I'm coming here for Christmas." I said that was Dino, not Jason. <laughs> I ain't got money like that. I give out like ten dollars. Be like, Nate, you walk around and pray, bro. Whatever, whoever you think needs some money. <laughs> a dollar for you, a dollar for you. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember I handed, I handed, a, I handed a, probably about, a, I handed like five hundred dollars or thousand dollars or something to this guy. I leaned over to him, and his family was on the road. I didn't want his family to see, so I, I put it in his hand, and he grabbed my hand so tight, and these huge tears started streaming down his face one Christmas service. And I remember leaving, and I thought, I have, I have not felt joy like that in a long time. But you know what? That was not my money. That was Dino's money. But I found joy in it because I was able to steward it for the use that he had given me, the assignment that he had given me. It's a great illustration. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Didn't even have it in my notes. Luke 16, though, listen. This, this whole passage, Luke 16, I can't read all of it for sake of time today, but read the context. Context is important. The entire passage of Scripture is about stewardship. It is about riches, it is about wealth, it is about money. Uh, We're only going to unpack a little bit of it, but verse 1 through 8, we're not going to read this section, but verse 1 through 8, I'll just kind of distill it really quick for you. Uh, Jesus is telling uh, his followers, he's telling the short story, he's telling his followers about a steward that mismanaged the resources that was given to him. Um, and, and in that mismanagement, the master comes to, to follow up and check. And then he gets in trouble because he didn't steward it wisely. And then he makes some kind of shrewd decisions. And at least the master comes to him, comes to him and says, well, you made some kind of shrewd decisions and kind of, you kind of, you know, fix the trajectory a little bit. And so I'll give you a thumbs up on that. But you were a bad steward. Nevertheless, you were a bad steward. You did not steward what I gave you properly. And so that's the, the first backdrop, stewardship, mismanagement of money, but then the next, uh, the next few verses, it's great, because Jesus begins to not only show you what bad stewardship is, he, he starts to talk about what good stewardship looks like, and this is where I want to go with this. And I'm just going to give you three questions today that we'll unpack and answer. Luke 16, verse 9, this is what Jesus says. Remember, he's talking about bad stewardship, now good. It is important that you use the wealth of this world to do what? To demonstrate your friendship with God by... Look at this, by winning friends and blessing others. We're going to unpack that in just a little bit. It means more than like buying friends. It doesn't mean that at all. You could read that in this translation and think that, well, yeah, of course, you get rich and you can buy your friends. That's not the point. That's not the point. That would never be uh, consistent with the rest of, of Jesus' teachings. But notice that first, notice the relationship between lordship and stewardship. He says, it is important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God. So he's saying that you have been given some resources and I want you to use them to demonstrate this partnership and this friendship that you have with God so your money can actually work for you. Have you ever heard anybody say, you need to make sure your money's working for you and you make sure you invest it in the right account? I'm telling you, if you want your money to work for you, invest into the kingdom of God. Continues to go on, he says this. Um, you use your resources to win friends and to be a blessing to others. There's a distinction there. Winning friends, blessing others. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. And he goes on, He says, then when this world fails and falls apart. Some of your translations, basically the language that it uses, when you fail or when you die. It means whenever you expire and you're no longer living on this earth. Uh, he says, um, when you do this, when the world fails or when, you, when it falls apart, whenever you die, when your life is over, your generosity will provide for you. An eternal reward. Some of your translations, maybe the King James or the New King James Version, which is way more spiritual than the one I read, obviously. But um, <laughs> thank you for the five of you that laughed about that. Those are the church nerds right there. Um, but for some of you, it says that they, your friends, will welcome you into everlasting home, which will unpack. that. It's so, so good. But it continues, says, The one who manages the little he has been given, Jesus says, with faithfulness and with integrity. Notice that the way we steward money is an integrity issue. will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy or worthy of trust to receive more. If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with eternal treasures of the spiritual world? You know what that is? That's people. Spiritual tre- treasures are people, it's not money. Because if you can't handle money, right, why, why would God ever give you spiritual treasures? Maybe if it's not money, then maybe it's spiritual tre- treasures, revelations from God. Maybe it's maybe it's being able to flow and operate fully in the gifts of God. I- I'm not sure. You can fill the, fill, fill the gap there however you like. I think it's about people, though. He goes on, he says, and if you've not been proven faithful with what belongs to another... Why should you be given wealth of your own? It is impossible for a person to serve. This is where I want to camp out. It is impossible for a person to serve. To serve. Where am I at? Where am I reading at? I'll read it from there. Uh, where, where are we at up here? Okay. Oh, it is impossible for a person to serve two masters at the same time. You will be forced to love one and reject the other. One master will be despised or hated, and the other um, will have your loyal devotion. It is no different with God and the wealth of this world. You must enthusiastically love one and uh, definitively reject the other. Now, there's a word that is not in the Passion Translation, which I do like this translation, but we're missing in this translation a word that is used in some of the older translations. For instance, in The New King uh, James Version. You'll see it here in, in that, that one of those final verses. He says, "No servant can serve two masters. He will, for he either excuse me for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon." So he uses the word mammon instead of money or wealth. Again, over in Matthew 6, he uses, it's the same exact verse. You can see it. They'll put it on the screen. He uses the word mammon. Mammon is used four times that we see in scripture that Jesus uses this word mammon. One time is a, is a repeat, which is Matthew 6 and Luke 16. But I want to talk about this because Jesus makes a strong statement. He says, I'm telling you that you cannot serve. It's impossible. You cannot serve God. God cannot be your master and mammon be your master. And you have to choose, am I going to serve God, be devoted to God, put God first, honor God, love God enthusiastically, be completely devoted 100% to him, or or am I going to do that over here? But you cannot do both of these things. Now, here's the thing. We're going to break this down because mammon is a funny word. Like no one uses the word mammon anymore. You don't go to Chase Bank like, I'd like to take out 200 mammons. (laughs) That's so dumb. Like who would do that? They would look at you like you're crazy. So the first, first point for you is actually a question. My points, three points, there's going to be questions. The first question is, what is mammon? If Jesus is telling us we can't serve mammon and God, we better, we better make sure we know what mammon is, right? Mammon is not just money. Uh, the actual definition is riches, but there's something underneath when you do, when you study the etymology of this, there's something deeper than just the definition mammon going to riches. It's actually, it's, it's so profound. Uh, this word, it actually dates back to the Syrians all the way to the Babylonian era. Remember the Tower of Babel that was erected in Genesis chapter 11? Babel means confusion. Uh, Babylon means, the the suffix on there means sown or planted. Planted, sown, or started in confusion. So if you remember in Genesis chapter 11, the the Syrians there, what they did was they built a tower all the way up to heaven, thinking we're going to build this tower, make our own name great, so find our own identity, make our own name great. We're going to be known uh, all over. We're going to be feared all over because we're gonna have so much power and we're gonna do all this. We're gonna ascend all the way to the heavens into God's kingdom, but we don't need his help to do it. We don't need his assistance to do it. Essentially, it was a giant middle, middle finger to God from the Babylonian saying, we want your kingdom, but not you as the king. We want heaven. We want all this. We want prestige. We want identity. We want blessings. We want affluence. We want authority. We want power. We want dominion, but we don't need your help because we have enough money to achieve that on our own. And Mammon, watch this, Mammon was the Syrian god that they worshiped. So mammon is not just money. It's actually, it was a false god that people worshiped. It was the god of riches. So they would worship and devote themselves to the god of mammon, thinking that if we'll devote ourselves to to mammon, he will give us more riches, then we can do whatever we want. But we don't need God because God wants to control us. We want to control our own life. We want autonomy and affluence. And so we'll devote our lives to mammon, to the worship of mammon. And Jesus says, you need to understand that it's more than money. When you, when you get wrapped up in this life of, I just got to make more, I got to make more, I need more, I need more. What you're doing is you're living your life for mammon and your money is mastering you. You have become a slave to it. This is what he is saying. The spirit of mammon says this, I don't need God if I have money. Now, I, I, I have been around some people that have very little well, let me say it like this. I've always wondered this. I asked one of my mentors, why does it seem like people in poverty have more of an open heart to receive the gospel than people with abundance? And I think it's because mammon is a fierce slave master. Yes, that's right. And that when people have a lot of stuff, that's why Jesus, remember he said, he didn't say it's impossible. He said, man, it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. You know why? Because mammon whispers in our mind, that you don't need God, look what you already have. You have a great job. You have a big house. You have, you have, you have all that you need. You don't need him. He's just going to tell you what to do with what you have. He's just going to tell you, he's going to try to control you. And mammon is a liar. And mammon, have you ever noticed your money speaks to you, doesn't it? Anytime when you're about to give, you're about to, you, you feel prompted to, to cover someone's bill, your money will start talking to you, Want it? I'm telling you, there is a spirit on money. Right. And we'll get in that in just a second. Is is it evil? We'll answer that question in just a few moments. But let me roll this off to you for just a little bit, because I think this is so very important. Here's what Mammon will say. Mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon promises things that only God can give us. Mammon promises identity. Right. Mammon promises security, significance, happiness, joy. And these are things that only God can give you. Mammon can never deliver on the promises that only God can give you. Here's a shocking statement. I want to give you a shocking statement here. I, I think, I, 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 one of my pastors made a connection here, but Mammon, the false god of Mammon and the spirit of Mammon, is actually connected to the spirit of the Antichrist. Think about this. For some of you Bible nerds, you'll like this. When you flip over to the book of Revelations, the Antichrist will try to rule and control the people on the earth in that day, not with weapons, but with what? With fear that if they don't accept a mark of the beast, that they will not be able to buy and sell to provide for themselves and their family. Mammon wants to control always. Mammon wants to make you afraid that, that, if, that, if, that if, you don't, if you don't have money, then you're gonna, your life is going to fall apart. You won't have identity. You won't have security. You won't have safety. This is what Mammon does. Mammon will say, if you had money, think about this. This is the voices that you've probably heard before. Mammon will say this to you. If you had more money, you would be happy. If you had more money, you would be significant. If you had more money, you would be liked more. If you had more money, you'd fit in with that crowd. If you had more money, you would be at peace. If you had more money, you could help people more. Oh, that's the biggest lie. Think about that. What a lie. If you had more money, then you'd be able to help people. I would just submit to you, if, if we don't help people with what we have now, we'll never have any more. That was good. I'm going to jump to my, I'm gonna jump to my sec, second point. Second question is this. Okay, so I'm talking a lot about mammon. Are you saying, Jason, are you saying that money's bad? Are you saying that money's evil? Here's the question. Is money evil? I'm going to answer that question. In, in some of your translations, when it says that word, instead of it saying wealth or riches, it calls it unrighteous mammon. If you remember the message last week that Pastor Robert talked about, he said that whenever we, when we tithe, tithe simply means tenth. And when you study in the scriptures, it's the first tenth. 10% of your income and your increase. For some of them, it was farming animals, it was produce or whatever. But remember what he talked about was whenever we honor God with our first, our best, and with that 10, God blesses the rest, the 90%. And and we'd rather have uh, the blessing of God on 90% then not God's blessing and us have 100%. Remember, he talked about that. Some of you may agree with that. Some of you may not agree with that. I personally, I do agree with that. I do believe that when we give God our best, he blesses the rest. I just believe it. That's how he rolls. That's what he does. I've pr- had a practice in my life for 20 years, 20 plus years, and I believe that God does that. But here's why I'm telling you that, that all money, all money has some type of spirit on it, either the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. What determines... If you have the spirit of God, his blessings on it, or the spirit of mammon, I believe it's whenever you, one of the things is whenever you say, I'm going to first give God the first and the best, and then God commands his blessing over it, and now it's no longer unrighteous mammon, but now it's your stewarding resources that God has given you to be a blessing to the people around you, not just for your benefit, but for their benef- benefit, excuse me. But it's also what puts a certain spirit on your money is whenever you live your life in generosity with open hands and a soft heart towards people. That's a spirit that's a generous spirit. So you can either have a, a mammon spirit, a scarcity spirit, you can have those type of attitudes and, and, and spirit on your resources and your money, or you can have the spirit of God and his blessings on it. And I believe we position ourselves to have the spirit of God, the blessings of God on our life when we give him our first and our best, but also when we live our lives looking out saying, God, how can you use me today on your assignment to be a blessing to people? Man, it puts a spirit of blessing on your finances. I have lived this out. Now listen, I I'm not telling you that means your life's going to be easy and that you're going to get rich. I'm not telling you that there's actually there's a prosperity gospel that is proclaimed and preached. And it has been for years and years now. I would submit to you that the prosperity gospel, which is this, is you give to get. You give, God's going to bless you. You give and God's going to give you a BMW. That is actually a message of mammon. Because here's why it's a message of mammon. When you tell people you give to get, you work, uh, you work a greedful spirit and a spirit of self-centeredness and selfishness deeper into a person's heart. We give to give, to give, to give. And if God wants to give me more, that's on him. But I want to be generous and give and give and give because generosity is a privilege. It's my privilege. So is it, is it evil? No, money is not evil in and of itself. Like, it's not like the devil is somewhere in the back creating money. Like, that's not how it works, okay? So dumb. But look what 1 Timothy says. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. Read your Bible. It says, for the love of money, for the love of mammon is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. You open your life up to mammon, he will permeate all over your life. It won't just be greed. It'll be, it'll be all sorts of things. And it's the love of money. It's the love of mammon, says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. In other words, I believe, I believe that Paul is saying this to Timothy. He's saying this. Loving and serving mammon is the root of a life that will eventually be completely destroyed. When you live your life like that. Now, it's interesting. There's a strange verse in Luke 16, 9, our original passage we're studying. It says this. It is important, he says, that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with, with God by winning friends. Remember, we talked talking about this, by winning friends and blessing others. Then, when this world fails and falls apart, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. In other words, let me break that down. He's not saying buy friends, as some people do. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you need to use your money to demonstrate your devotion to God and to provide, and to provide, um, excuse me, to to demonstrate your devotion to God and to people by leveraging your money and your resources to be a blessing to others and by investing in the kingdom so that you can. When he says win friends, look at the other translation. He's talking about winning lost people to Jesus and them coming into the kingdom. So it's not I'm rich and I'm going to buy I'm gonna, because I'm going to pay for everybody's meal and buy them stuff. Now I'm going to win me friends. No, no, no. It's taking your money saying I want to win lost people to Jesus so that they can be friends, not just with me, but with God. That's what he's saying. Go read it in the other translations. It's amazing. He says it in the New King James Version. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. So he's saying, take the money of this world and use it to do kingdom things with it. Look, that when why, this is so beautiful. That when you fail, or when you when you die, it's a little language there in the original language, original language, the original, original language. <laughs> that when you fail, they who they the the, the new friends that you've 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 won they may receive you into an everlasting home. You know what the picture he's painting is? Is that you can actually take your money, the money that you work so hard to get, you can take that money and you can invest it in the kingdom of God to, a, to, bring, to bring the gospel to people and you're gonna make friends with them. Not maybe it's gonna benefit you in this life, but where it's gonna benefit you the most is there will come a day when you're gonna close your eyes on this earth and you're going to walk into heaven. God's going to say, well done, faithful, my good and faithful servant. And you're going to walk up to somebody that you've never even met before. And they're going to look at you. I, I believe this is going to happen. They're going to look at you. They're going to say, can I introduce myself to you? My name is Jason. We've never met before. Welcome to heaven, number one. It's a good place. Number two, I just want to I want to bring you back to this moment where, where, you, where you were sitting down at your table with your wife and your kids and it was a sacrifice but you looked at your money and you said we're going to make the biggest gift we've ever made to help start this church, Sozo Church and together you put your hands on that check and you prayed over it and you said God would you bless not, our, not just our finances but will you bless this gift and use it so that people could come into the kingdom of God. And he's gonna look, he's gonna look, he's gonna say, and that day when you did that, you didn't realize it, but you guys started that church. And I came through the doors on the seventh week. I was traveling on business, came through the church. I was sitting in the back and someone talked about the love of God. And I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, here's what I know. He goes, someone had to pay for that. And I know it was you and it was many other people but I'm trying to find every person that I know gave and I'm telling them them, thank you because if it weren't for you, I would not be here. This is what I believe he's saying, that when we use our resources for the kingdom to see lost people come to know Jesus, you will walk into heaven and it's gonna be amazing. You're gonna worship God. You're gonna be in the presence of God. It's gonna be powerful. But I think one of the most powerful things is gonna be whenever your friends receive you they welcome you. They wrap their arms around you. And I don't know what that moment is going to exactly be like, but I do believe God's going to let people say thank you. I believe, I believe it's, he's going to look at, people are going to look at you in your eyes and say, thank you because I know it was a sacrifice. I know it was hard. I know you didn't have a lot, but you still gave. You still invested. You still believed. You still wanted to reach people. You didn't make Christianity just about yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. That's why we do this, because it's all about people. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.